Hello. This is a Fred the Alien Productions team special. I'm a Philip Hunting, and I'm here with writer-director Wayne Stellini and producer-stage manager Fulia Cantamarchi. Today, we are talking about Whatever Happened to Jeremy Baxter. You have nothing to worry about, Mr. Baxter. So, how are you guys today? Good. Lovely. Beautiful. Sh show's over. What, yeah. an, what, what an achievement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to start with you, Wayne. Yes. And just ask um, about the inspiration and genesis of whatever happened to Jeremy Baxter. Yeah, I'd had an idea for a kidnap drama for a while. So this was one of those story ideas that had been simmering away in the back of my head. And it... Just the timing was right to bring it to the forefront and actually commit and put pen to paper. The story itself is nothing original, really. I mean, if you've seen one kidnap or hostage drama, you've seen them all. <laughs> so I used that framework. I wasn't trying to hide that I was, you know, not doing anything new. And just really fleshed out the idea I drew from films that I had seen. So again, with me, it's always about popular culture. And yeah, and pretty much just let the work speak for itself. Mm -hmm. I knew how I wanted it to end. I did a bit of a Venn diagram to see how all the characters would interlock and connect with one another. I know that because I was using familiar narrative tropes, I wanted some plot twists and tones. People familiar with the genre and this style of story would see some of them coming. But I was really happy to see that there was one plot twist that nobody saw. <laughs> and that was fun to see. So, yeah, while well, it was supposed to be an intense drama, it was always supposed to be fun. The idea that Jeremy would have been plotting and masterminding this whole thing was always there. I love the idea of the villain being in the room, like we see in Saw. It's a great twist. I like the idea of manipulation and power plays and you know, really exploring class struggles and masculinity. So all these themes came through with the development. So yeah, drawing, I guess, on just the topical nature of masculinity and pulling that into an established narrative meant that I could have my cake and eat it too, really. I could go with familiar territory, but do something really different with it. For both of you, in terms of casting, what was the process um, for casting this show? Yeah, the casting of this was going to be challenging because the roles on offer demanded a lot. So if you were playing Jeremy, you would be spending pretty much, what, 90% restraint somehow, 80% in a chair or on the floor. So that's quite challenging for, for an actor for a show that's 75 minutes. If you were playing Luke, you had to present an innocence so you had to be likable, even though you were essentially the bad guy, as our audience were thinking, you know, because you've kidnapped this wealthy, this wealthy guy. And you also had the most dialogue, the longest monologues as well. If you were being cast as Marty, the challenge was there that you had to om omit so much with so little stage time, comparatively speaking, to the other two leads. But we had to learn so much about you. And whether we were on your side or not was all on you as the performer, really, with, with the material that you had. And if you were playing Ethan, again, you had even less material to work with. So you had to del 
deliver a lot more in terms of the body language, the way you delivered your lines, the backstory that we create together in the development and workshopping and rehearsal process. And you had to be likable. But as you know, the process went on, it was great to see the actors bringing a lot of external things to the role. So you need to have the foresight of that when you're casting, I think. And we approached actors that we had worked with before and actors that we had wanted to work with that just didn't get the opportunity to do so. Because the roles were demanding, it meant we were actually quite limited to how we could advertise the show. There was fight choreography. There were some intimate scenes as well. The themes of the play can be quite sensitive to some people as well. So we needed courageous actors who would throw themselves into it. And, you know, Fulia, you were in a lot of those auditions with me as yeah. well. I mean, we could really see the clear front runners of the actors yeah, we did, who were yeah. auditioning. Yeah. Um, I know that when we had approached Ryan Stewart, who had worked with us for two seasons for Michael and Philippa getting married in the morning, and he came in and he was quite excited about the challenges of the role of Luke. That was the role that really... Um, stood out to him and you know we did the audition yeah you know we're all relaxed because we knew each other really well but he still went through the exact same processes delivered a dramatic monologue read lines for luke and it was just great to see because i know that as soon as ryan left the room i turned to fully and i said there's just something about ryan stewart yeah um you know there is just this incredible presence and you can see it in the audition and what's exciting about that is that you then know that you will see it in the rehearsal period, in the workshopping period, and most definitely on stage. Um, with Bane Bradshaw as Marty, Bane was quite interesting in terms of casting because he was invited to help us workshop the script. So the script itself had gone through a few drafts. I then presented it to uh, yourself, Philip and Fulia, to have a look at it, get your thoughts on it. And I took feedback on board, did some amendments that I needed to do, still left some things that, you know, I thought, no, this needs to be there. And then we workshopped it with Bane and his enthusiasm was just absolutely lovely. And he was reading different parts at that time. So that was a secret audition for him as well, without him even realizing it. But he was really enthusiastic about it. And what was good is that we were able to cast him as Marty, not because nobody else was good enough for Marty, but I think... Bane just showed enthusiasm for all the characters, that, and he could easily slip into any of them, I think. Some would be more challenging than others, but I love what Bane ended up doing with Marty, and I love the effort he put into it, because Marty's easy to just dismiss, because you go, oh, yeah, he's in, you know, a few scenes, he's got limited movements and dialogues, but it's what you do with it as well. With Jeffrey Bright-Jones, who played Ethan, I just offered him the role. He didn't have to audition. I just said, I know you'll be great at this. And he read the script and just loved it and went for it. Jeremy Baxter. (laughs) Jeremy Baxter was always going to be difficult because he is the show, essentially. You know, he is the central topic. He's kind of the reason why we're all gathering around to see what's happening with him. And I had written the play or the role, at least, of Jeremy with a different actor in mind to the one we cast. But as I was going on... And as it got more and more developed, I was thinking of a particular actor in mind 
by the name of Ben K. Ronick. And when I wrote the massive monologue that he has at the end, which is essentially him verbally assaulting and smacking down Marty and ripping him to shreds uh, by essentially saying, this is why we are different and why I'm better than you, I could picture Ben delivering it. And Ben had auditioned for us for Michael and Philippa getting married in the morning. Wasn't successful, but I really liked what I saw in that audition and I remembered him. And, you know, we followed him on social media, could see the person, you could sort of see elements of Jeremy Baxter in him, even though we were not, I wasn't writing it for him. But by that stage, I was like, hang on, I think this guy could play a really cool Jeremy just based on his aesthetics. And Ben is the polar opposite to Jeremy. Like Ben's sweet, a bit clumsy, uh, but very friendly, whereas Jeremy is this self-entitled bitch <laughs> and is very open and loving about it. So I think that that was quite fun for Ben as well. But he just absolutely smashed his audition. Like He did some improvisations that was just spot on, really. And Fulia, you were in the room with yeah, us as well for yeah. that. When Ben had left the audition, Fulia, you were really enthusiastic. Yeah. And uh, our Fred the Alien colleague, Ash, Paul was there as well and just said to me, that's your Jeremy Baxter. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so Ben had it pretty much straight away and it was fun to see. Um, and what's great is that when you do follow Ben on social media, there is this persona, this image that's put through, but then you get to know the real Ben. Yeah. Yes, there are similarities. I'm not saying he's fake at all, but you see more of a sweet nature, I think, with Ben. Yeah. And I love that. I think Jeremy is like that as well. It's what you see online versus to who he is in real life. Yeah. And that's one of the elements that's explored in the play. And Luke is seduced by what he thinks is the real Jeremy, more so than what's online. But yeah, but Fulia, what did you think of the casting having been involved in the process as well? I mean, we saw some other great actors, but, you know, who we had just really nailed it. Yeah. Oh, look, um, I'm very happy with the the casting choices that we made. Yeah. Uh, They all did a stellar job in their roles um, there's not really much else I can say. You've pretty much mentioned everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult not to be enthusiastic by the, the four men that we cast. Yeah. Because, again, they did such great work. They worked really hard as individuals and together. And I think it, it you know, came to be evident on the, sh- on the show, like during yeah. the actual show run. It was a limited preparation period. They received their scripts five months before showtime, but then only had two months together to rehearse. So we can all say, yeah, learn your lines, but when you're not including feeding and bouncing off each other and drawing from what other people are delivering, when you're not able to play around with the props and set pieces and the space that you'll use and you know commit that to muscle memory, it's difficult. So it was a big ask. Yeah. And these guys as well had a few injuries and illnesses <laughs> throughout the process, which set things back. As well, I mean, this this is life. You can't help it. We have the time frame that we have. But, you know, Jeffrey started off recovering from a leg injury. So we had to amend the script a little bit to yep. make sure that he was safe and comfortable because his character does die. Uh, Ryan was doing a, a show, a regional tour of another show, injured his foot during that regional tour. But it was like, I'm okay. <laughs> like, are you sure? <laughs> uh, yeah, Bane was out for a, for a few sessions because he had severe um, food poisoning yeah. and Ben had mild food poisoning during the show run. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that he actually made it through without yeah. um, showing that he was ill. Yeah, he did really well. Yeah. And, and again, and we, you know, banded together and just, and just do it. You just have to get, you just have to get on with it. Yep. And it's a testament to the 
enthusiasm these guys had for the show. Like they just really loved their characters. They loved working with one another. You could tell, you could see it because we've all worked with people who we don't like (laughs) and have been overseeing people who don't necessarily like each other work together and trying to push through it. So this was a really beautiful, harmonious and tight dynamic. It was, it's the smallest number of people that I've worked with on stage that we all have at Fred the Alien. And I think it was beneficial. You had nowhere to hide and nowhere to run to. And you just had to commit to the work and the guys did. So in terms of the dynamics, in terms of the casting choices, I think they were perfect. Mm. Um, And it was lovely to see these guys put so much into their roles as well. Fulia, you've produced a handful of shows uh, through Fred now. How does Jeremy Baxter compare? It's a little different from the other shows that I've done uh, because now I have a lot more experience in producing Mm. um, compared to what I have been in the past. I know what's involved. I know all the work, the documentations that need to be signed, the people that you need to contact. It just, it makes it a lot easier knowing what you're doing this time around compared to other times. And that's the thing you always forget about producing is how much paperwork there is Yeah. in every facet because you have to tick so many boxes, don't you, about, uh, okay, we're insured. Yep, cool. We've got the documents. The venue needs the documents. Yeah. Um, oh, the venue has its own paperwork that we need to fill exactly. out. Exactly, and that's, and that's another thing that I had to, um, that I learnt from experience was to make myself a checklist of everything that needs to be completed. Yeah. And that way I can keep on top of it in case I forget something later in the track. Yeah. And it also compares with the fact that we've got a smaller cast and it makes it a lot easier to manage compared to having a larger number from Michael and Philip and the writer. Yeah. Uh, this time around, they're a bit more self-sufficient. They they know that they need to do what they need to do in order to put on the show properly. Um, they know that when I'm not happy, that they have to make sure that they <laughs> pull their socks up and do it well. Everyone gets a warning at the beginning of a yes. show. And I will say this. Till I'm blue in the face and I say it at the beginning of every show and no one believes me. I tell people, I say, cast and crew, I am not scared of anyone in this room. Not much scares me when doing a show. However, (laughs) do not be fooled by her beautiful smile. Come showtime. I am scared of fool you. (laughs) And And if you're not, you're a fool. (laughs) And and honestly, um, that's the first... The first, when was it? The first, I think it was the first night of the show run. Yeah. Opening night. I even scared myself a little. You were in the zone. I was just like, how am I so in the zone? I'll tell you how I was in the zone. (laughs) I was stressed out uh, because on my way in to the first performance, I was running late because of really bad traffic. Yes. Um, Not to mention that I was actually coming from home because I had worked earlier in the day. Yeah. So I worked, went home, got ready and then came straight out. But that the, by the time I left, it was peak hour traffic. Yes. And, and it hit me and I'm just sitting in the car. I was just tapping and my legs shaking. <laughs> I'm just like what, looking at the time every two seconds. And exactly. I'm not going to get there in time. This is not good. And when I got there, I just had to just switch the stage manager's zone. And I was like, that's it. 
I've got to start working right now. Yeah. Mm. And also, if I could even just piggyback off your question, Philip, to Fulia, as a stage manager, how did this one compare? Because whilst you're not in the traditional sense of the stage manager is that you're behind the scenes because, or backstage, I should say, because there really isn't much of a backstage. We're in a black box yeah. theater. It's a small curtain. But there's a lot of preparation beforehand because this was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the most sort of intricate set, if you will, because there were a lot of set pieces compared to our previous shows. There were props that had to be handled, so they all had to be in the right spaces. Yes, the cast are responsible for making sure everything is where they are so they know. Yeah. But really it falls to you as the stage manager. It does. You know? It yeah. really does. Um, this time around, I can honestly say I mm, there was probably roughly about the same number of props as the Michael and Philip, maybe a little less Okay. Yes. to worry about. Um, in terms of set pieces, probably a little bit more than Michael and Philip. Yeah. This one was a much more dressed up set because yes, definitely we was. needed to show the contrast between of the two different the rooms. two different rooms. So yeah. to make the isolated room look lonely, yeah. the kitchen where Luke and Marty have most of their scenes together, and that's where most of the props and set pieces yes. were. And in order for me to even keep track of it all, I had to make myself a checklist for stage right and stage left. Yes, and I and every night I will come on stage once everything's been set up. I will tick off. All right. There's kitchen benches here, right? The telephones on the bench, yeah. the water, the cups, the handcuffs on the stage left, even um, Jeffrey's little section, uh, stage right, right in front. Yeah, I had to make sure that he had all his props and set pieces. Absolutely. And so managing um, all that uh, this time around was a lot easier because I knew I've I've learned from experience that it's better to have a checklist yeah. and then tick them off yeah. just before the show starts and then go back to the cast and tell them to check that all the props are in the right places for them. Exactly, because each cast member knows what they're responsible for. Exactly. But you need to know what everyone is responsible for. And Fully and I are the same. We just love a checklist because we can't commit all of that to memory. It no. needs to be in front of us. It needs to be a reference. Yeah. I don't care how many times you run the show. You will, you know, I think you'll miss something. We're only human. Exactly. And, you know, speaking of props, don't we all love props, especially when <laughs> they get in the way or they don't function the way they yeah. should come showtime. Oh, that, that yeah. weapon. That yes. We so during rehearsal, our gun just fell to pieces. And, and Philip, you um, rescued us because we had this plastic $3 toy gun <laughs> that actually looked cool. It did. It was a cap gun, had some great sound effects to it. And you got us a new gun. Mm-hmm. Yay. And so that that actually held, didn't mm. it? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, a part of this show is, again, the props are important because we're it's, it's a crime drama, mm. if you will. So weaponry is involved. So, Phil, finding, um, you know, prop guns, knives, that was your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, surely you had the easiest job out of everyone, didn't you? You'd think so. Yeah, you'd think so. (laughs) So the problem with doing a show like this and wanting um, fake weaponry Mm. is that there's a lot of legality you've got to jump through. Especially in the state of Victoria, we found. Especially in the state of Victoria. So if this had been done up in Queensland, we essentially could have just gone up to a bottle-o, picked up a uh, pistol and... (laughs) Gone for it. Come free with a Um, (laughs) six-pack. But Victoria's got very strict rules and those rules haven't yet caught up with 
the little niche and uh, intricacies of life. For example, we have sweeping laws against firearms and handguns, mm. and they haven't quite caught up with the fact that you know people want to do a, a theatre show with yeah. something that looks real. People want to do filming. It's all well and good for big film companies. They've got legal legalese behind them, mm. but. For small companies like ourselves, we have to find little loopholes. So, for example, I purchased, legally purchased, a starter pistol, Mm. which, from all the paperwork we can find, is 100% legal to use on stage, so long as no more than two people... uh, No, there are no more than two pistols uh, starter cat pistols on stage right. at any time. And we only had the one. And we only had the one. Um, I had to do a little jumping to purchase said pistol, but once it was starter pistol, but once it was purchased, it was perfectly legal for us to use. Yeah. And it looked great and, you know, it was it yeah. served the purpose really well. It did. The irony is something that's even less dangerous, a cap gun is technically, like, not like the one we, we bought, the little plastic thing. But like a, they're, they're called a Denex mm-hmm. pistol, classified as an imitation firearm and is actually more illegal and harder for us to use than a starter, pistol. a starter pistol, which is technically more of a real gun, even though it can't fire anything bigger than like a, a, a nail. Yeah. And I think one of the things is you don't realize all the intricacies you need to go through to see the printed word mm. come to life on stage. Yep. Uh, you know, you've got, your cast will do such a great job, but prop set pieces, all of these mm. things, the way it's lit will help. As another example, we wanted a um, fake knife, yeah. retractable knife. But at the moment, unless you're willing to pay about $4,000, you can actually only get, really get the, Little, uh, you know, switchblade style looking things, yeah. little gangster looking knives, yeah. um, which are great for, you know, a costume, great for a yeah. a particular look. But we wanted something that looked like a steak knife or a, a butcher's knife or something like that. And you just can't, to our knowledge, yeah. <laughs> do our best research, get that at a decent price. I think one of the advantages is what we had was when we had the retractable knife is a well, we were able to find another knife, a real knife, you know, just from the kitchen drawer mm. that looked similar to it. Mm. And the retractable knife itself is used in a very quick, sharp motion. Mm. So you can get away with it not being yeah. so realistic. Yeah. I don't think anyone no, you know, reacted to a way that we didn't want them to mm. when Jeremy stabs Luke at the end. Yeah, But without these options being open to you you have to have those uh, would i call compromises you could argue yes you know like uh, again for the what it actually was it worked brilliantly yeah say you wanted a big show of the knife and a yes. big, you know, if i wanted to reenact the scene from psycho i could not it. do it you could not yeah. do it as it stands right now yeah um with all that, the actual showrun itself, we sort of touched a little bit on the showrun, but I want to ask you both about your showrun experience. We'll start for Leah. You were talking a little bit before about stage management role. A little bit more in depth with that. What? How was your experience in the showrun itself? 
Um, during the show run, it I think this time around, my the first night was a little nerve wracking because a I was stressed out before the show. Um, but then as soon as the show started, the butterflies just kicked in because mm-hmm. once the show starts, my job is complete mm-hmm. as a stage manager. The only thing I can do um, at the is probably at the end of the show and that's to let the cast know that the house is clear for them to come out from behind the curtain. Um, but essentially that first night was my nerve wracking night to make sure that everything was in place. They, you know, it was where the, the cast needed it to be. And those butterflies just didn't go away until about halfway through the run. The, when, when I came in for the second and the rest of the show run, um, I was a lot more confident, uh, knowing that I had the first night ran well, I had everything in place. And so I just kept the momentum going and made sure that once I got in there and we were allowed to, to move into the space that we bumped in everything in the same way, um, each time. I agree with you fully. For me, it was nerve wracking on that first night because I think, you know, all the hard work that everyone's put into it and it's all come to this. You know, there's no, can you give us another hour to do a run through? Yeah. Can we just double check the tech? No. Once the house is live, it's live. Yeah. There's no turning back. Yeah. Our audience don't know what to expect. And we don't know how they will respond to it. Exactly. Mm. And you're looking for all of these different things. You're trying to vibe up the audience. You're trying to make sure the cast are feeling good. Because, you know, a quiet audience is not necessarily a disengaged or bad one. Exactly. They could be taking it in, especially... A story like this and I remember being quite physically ill <laughs> like my stomach you had butterflies I had a whole menagerie in there I was just in knots the whole time through and I have to be honest I think the opening night and this is me being very pedantic director was probably the weakest out of the four shows for me but you know, things that might have been missed were recovered so well by yep. the cast because we had practiced and rehearsed it over and over again. You can perhaps never rehearse enough, you know, is the argue, but there's just moments when you have to say, okay, we've nourished this baby for long enough. We now have to let it walk by itself exactly. because it is a life unto itself and you perform it. It belongs to the audience and the audience will take from it what they want, will accept what they want, will reject what they want will embrace it or disown it. Uh, we'll talk about it positively or negatively. You can't control any of that. No. You can just tell the story the best way you know how to. Yeah. But overall, I'm so proud of this show. And I'm so proud of the show run. I think everything came together really well. The enthusiasm the cast had for it. We had such a great technician at Gasworks. We did. Who was spot on with the cues. And it was just... We didn't over complicate the tech either we let the story shine there were just these subtle transitions that just did their job it kept the pacing up because the key point of this show is that for 75 minutes you're watching about an hour of just people moving from one room to the other Mm -hmm. there's flashes of conflict there's flashes of intimacy but it's a slow seduction that Jeremy has over Luke. And that needs to happen because we see how much he relies on Marty. So we need him to betray Marty slowly. Yeah. Only to discover other betrayals happening as well. Yes. And then once Jeremy gets into a position of power again, 
he then takes over and it's then dictated by Jeremy, which is a totally different pace. Yeah. It's not structured. It's helter-skelter. And I think the audience really engaged with that. It was lovely to see. We had different reactions on all the nights. Yes, we did. And we had props that chose not to work on the <laughs> opening and closing night. How did you feel when those handcuffs just would not stay together? So on the first night, after Jeremy chokes Luke and renders him what we believe to be unconscious, one of the handcuffs came undone. And we've gone through a few handcuffs. So I thought, oh no, you know, is it the, the cheaper rehearsal handcuffs instead? Uh, it turned out not to be the case. It's just that, you know, not to hurt Ben, the cuffs were purposely put on a bit loose. But there's a lot of room. So I said, let's just tighten them up a little bit. So, you know, Ben's comfortable and okay, but we can do it. So that was fine. The boys recovered so beautifully, though, from that loose handcuff. Because yeah. the dialogue after that is uncuff me, Marty, let's finish this. Exactly. And Ben was quick on his feet and recovered, take the other cuff off, all of this thing. Because I think it's acceptable to say, well, one cuff came off because the struggle was so intense. Not a big deal, not yeah. scripted, but not a big deal. The next two nights went extremely well. The final night, the cuff went off and our audience thought it was kind of hilarious in terms of the, ooh, what's going to happen next? But they played on. They had a bit of fun with it. Yeah. It was a bit more lighthearted because our audience was in that mood. Yeah. And again, the cast adapted. I would have preferred the cuffs to have never come off because I did not write them to come <laughs> off. But our props did suffer. Yes. In the, I think it was the third night... During the final scene, we had a jug of water that went flying. Ooh, I, I watched that water as it was about to tumble down on the floor. And I and it was, uh, I think it was Ryan that did the quick grab yeah. before it fell. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Ben. No, Ben. ben sorry, yeah, ben. so ben, ben had caught it. And oh, then they just goodness. continued going on. If that had fallen, we would have been. It wasn't our jug. (laughs) We borrowed it. And, you know, and that, that, that night was great. But what we had had preceding that was the fight scene between Luke and Jeremy. And, you know, everything is so carefully choreographed. This fight scene was the most choreographed sequence. We walked through it. We did it for real. We talked about it. We looked at the angles and all of these different things. But you just never know on the night. The adrenaline is pumping. Yeah. And... Ryan gave Ben a black eye in that <laughs> night because you will hear after during the scuffle, it cuts off really short and I was surprised that it was that short. Yeah. But Ben, as he's jumping up, goes, you hit my face or he goes, ah, my face. He does a reaction and was like, oh, and his whole, and I thought, well, that's pretty good improvising Ben, you know, <laughs> maybe a bit exposition-y, but that's okay. <laughs> but then he's, as he's continuing the scene, he's actually touching his eye and we're like, oh, Wow. And the scene plays on. Before the final performance, the following night, you know, I was chatting to, to Ben. I was like, oh, you know, what happened there? Are you okay? He goes, yeah, I got a black eye. I was like, what? <laughs> because Ben's wearing makeup at this time. And I'm like, no. And I had to like ask him about three times. He goes, no, no, really? He goes, look closely. And you can sort of still see some of the black around my eye. I was yeah. like, yes. I, I, being the first crew member in the green room, I saw Ben sitting there. I, for some reason, I, I didn't even ask. Yeah. It looked like he had like some sort of black eyeliner yes, going on. Yes, because it sort of was like smudged liner, wasn't it, yeah, to the side of his eye? Yeah, that's kind of like what it looked like, but I didn't ask about it. But then, they, but then when you came in and they talked about it, I'm like, wait, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it was that um, 
Ryan's wrist just made contact with his eye, so it wasn't extreme. Yeah. And, you know, we're like, Ben, are you okay? Because, oh, look, I'm Ben's apparently quite klutzy. He goes, oh, yeah. I think he said he was like, I've injured my nose twice, you know, <laughs> recently just by falling over. I was like, okay. So he knows how to recover and he's an expert at makeup. So yeah. he's really good that way. But speaking of fight scenes and props and injuries and all of these things, the final night, Ryan and Ben really went at it. They really did. They did. It was intense. And there's a scene where Ryan's character, Luke, lunges for Jeremy. And Jeremy moves out of the way, which is fine. All went well. Then we hear the crunch and the crash. Oh. And the col- and collectively, the audience reacts like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> and Fully and I are sitting in the back row and we're like, oh my goodness, what's happened? Yeah. And I thought it was the plate because it sounded like plastic crashing and Ryan jumps up and we're like thank god he's alive (laughs) and the scene continues there's a bit of pushing and shoving and this is the adrenaline of the scene yeah they're getting thrown around they're really committing to this the last time they'll do this but I remember when that scene had ended and they're going into the final scene of transition I just turned to Fulia and says as soon as the show finishes can you make sure Ryan's okay (laughs) and I did and he was yes I mean and Ryan's great because he was the leading force in choreographing the fight scenes safely because he's had training in martial arts, I believe. He's had, you know, he knows how to fight. He knows how to fall. Yeah. But again, on the night, you just don't know. And it's not scripted. You're thrown into a wall and smash up everything in your sight. So whilst we can say, well, you know, these are actors, they adapt, they do, it's still a safety thing. Exactly. You know, we want to tell a story. Clearly, we want it to be exciting. That reaction from the audience was fantastic because they believed it, which was great, but we won't compromise on their safety either. Exactly. Um, but again, it just shows the dedication commitment these guys had to this show, mm. to really telling a story that discussed a lot of things that are topical at the moment, especially in relations to masculinity. And because we talk in today's society a lot about toxic masculinity which is important but let's not shy away from the other elements of masculinity as well there are multiple masculinities it is tender it's manipulative it's toxic it's meaningful it's nurturing it's sweet it's scary it's violent it's all of these things and the guys just pulled pulled it together and we could see it in the show run and i think that's why the show run was successful because it was able to bring these themes and these these characteristics into, you know, what's a pretty substandard framework for a narrative, admittedly. But there was just so much depth in it. And I think the audience reacted. So, yep, I'm extremely happy with the showrun. I'm so proud of it. There's very little that I would tweak and change. Yeah. From page to stage, gosh, it's about 98%. And how great is that? Like, really? But, yeah. (laughs) Fulia, I'll start with you. Final thoughts and wrap up. I'd just like to say that the cast have done a phenomenal job bringing the story to life. And Ryan, I love you (laughs) for your little antics that happened the last couple of nights. Ryan kept you on your toes. He did. Ryan is is so much fun to have. Like all the guys are, but Ryan has a sense of humor that really clicks with you, doesn't it, for you? It really does. And... To, to me, he's, he's become like a little brother. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate the humor and the love that he has mm. um, for his stage manager. <laughs> <laughs> In those stressed out moments, you need a Ryan pun, hey? Yeah, yeah, that pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and just a big thank you to everybody who came along to see the show. Who for, thank you for supporting us. 
um, thank you for just being there and just, you know, watching the show. <laughs> Wayne, final thoughts? Well, for me, this, you know, isn't the first show I've directed, but I'm still really new to it. So the team is absolutely vital to a successful running. I'm very open that I'm still learning and I appreciate actors who are open that they're still learning too. So I think in the casting of actors with different levels of experience, different levels of training was really strong for this because we helped one another out. So I'm really grateful to the team who saw this story get made and get told. People were really interested in it and people got surprised by it. Our story is whatever happened to Jeremy Baxter and people come into it thinking, well, we're going to find out how he gets kidnapped or why he's kidnapped or what happens after he gets kidnapped. But really the title is enforced at the end with a news reporter literally saying whatever happened to Jeremy Baxter. And that takes the title in the show on a whole different meaning. And I think providing that unexpected element was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was great to watch. It was great to see some confused looks, some gasps, some groans, some laughs. Like, what an engaging show. And that's not me patting myself on the back for having written it and directed it. It's the cast who have done that. Because they're interpreting the material. They're interpreting the audience. I'm just facilitating it. And I have to give them credit for continually giving and providing a positive, helpful, and supportive working environment to one another to the crew as well. There is such a joy. They worked hard and it shows. I need to rattle them off one by one because they're all amazing human beings. So Ryan Stewart, you are just an incredible human being. And I just want to say thank you so much for trusting me to direct my first scenes that involve nudity and intimacy. Thank you for that trust and thank you for your support and help. Thank you for being an incredible support in terms of choreographing the fight sequences as well for your suggestions and feedback. They were always positive. They were always helpful. They were always coming from a good place and they were all taken on board for a reason because you care about the material, you care about the performance and you care about the production as a whole. That is a incredibly beautiful and generous performer who does that for you what an absolute pleasure to work with ryan stewart and the goal for me is to work with him again and again and again because he is going to do huge things and he will forget about me so i'm taking advantage (laughs) of this incredible talent while i can ben k ronick you (laughs) cheeky young man who has that wide smile and cheeky grin and sense of humor who just had me laughing the whole way through, which you should never do to a director because he can't discipline you when you need it. But again, Ben just had a lot of enthusiasm, had a lot of questions, which was great. He really cared about the material, put a lot of himself into it, heavily promoted it on his own social media platforms, really wanted people to see it and to be proud. And he was proud of his own work and so he should be. It was lovely hearing audiences react to Ben and complimenting his performance. 
because he's relatively new to the stage. He's done stage work before, but it had been ages. So it was great, again, to help him rediscover all of those techniques. Bain Bradshaw, who was on board very early on and was enthusiastic, thanks for the feedback, thanks for staying on board and for all the hard work you put in. And Jeffrey Bryan Jones, always reliable. Again, just a great sounding board because Jeffrey runs his own company as well, has directed, is an actor, has produced, knows his stuff, and it's just great to workshop ideas and get advice. Again, these are generous actors. My crew is also incredibly beautiful and generous, and it was lovely seeing Fulia just really come into your own as a stage manager. It was just amazing to see. Uh, I'm so proud of you. I mean, I know Fulia and I stage managed together for the first time when we did The Rider. We produced yep. and stage managed quite equally, I think. Yeah. Um, with Michael and Philip, you took a lot more of that on board, but Jeremy Baxter, you just ran with it. Yep. I just stepped back. You know, <laughs> I love nothing more than shouting the house is live. I couldn't do it this time because you were in complete control. <laughs> and the fact that your fellow crew members and the cast and the venue staff just were so comfortable with you and absolutely loved engaging and interacting with you is a testament to you. So I'm not letting Fulia go either. I'm just dragging <laughs> with me as well. Thank you for being in that first workshop with me as well. Um, I know that the the script when you first read it was a shock to you (laughs) because I could see the look on your face. You're like, "Um, (laughs) this isn't a comedy. (laughs) This isn't Michael and Philip. Um, So thank you so much. Um, And I have to say as well to, of course, my partner in crime, Philip, who just backs everything I do and was there as well and took on marketing for this as well. Something new. So what a great challenge for you. And the Mm. marketing was just really strong and lovely. Producing alongside Fulia, helping Kirsten, our other marketing operative and producer as well. Again, it's that environment that Fred has, which is what I love, is that teaching and training one another and really elevating one another. It's about support and upskilling and sharing knowledge. Egos are at the door because it's all about the work. Mm. And I have to also say, Kendall Richardson, who is... does amazing things for my ego (laughs) is just incredibly so supportive and was our wonderful assistant stage manager and usher voiceover artist and she was just thrilled to be a part of it and is just excited again i'm this is going to nauseate everybody but it's such a great team to work with and when the team get along and we believe Mm -hmm. in the material work together and it's all about the show and nothing else magic happens and whatever happened to jeremy backstar was magical for me. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our audience too. Yes. Thank you, Wayne. And thank you for It's been an absolute pleasure. I've been a Philip Hunting. I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Fulia Kantamaju. And that was Whatever Happened to Jeremy Baxter. In breaking news... The kidnapped son of business tycoon Ethan Baxter has been found disorientated on a farmer's property several kilometres east of Edenhope. Police say that it will take quite some time before they can understand the full extent as to whatever happened to Jeremy Baxter.